live once again, coming to you from the city of brotherly love, none other than Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, broadcasting from and hanging out in the WWDB 860 AM studios. You've tuned yourself in to another episode of the Health Coach Ev Show, where we are leveling the playing field around physical and mental health. What that means is we are bringing you the best ideas for what actually works for managing health issues, not just what has the most money behind it. By the way, I'm your host, Evan Transu, a.k.a. Health Coach Ev. You can reach out anytime or check out my work at evantransu.com. Well, my friends, we have a really special show for you all today, and we have a few amazing people who will be helping to make that happen. First, you won't believe who came back again after last week. On the ads today will be one of my one and only, Allie Litvak. Al, how are you doing over there? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back again this week, Ev. We are glad to have you. Now, before I get into the next two individuals, I need a little context. I've talked about public speaking before on the show, but never really went into great detail about what that entails. While I do talks related more to the functional health side of things, there is also a mental health organization that I've been lucky enough to be a part of and speak with for a little over two and a half years now. The organization is called Minding Your Mind. Minding Your Mind is a nonprofit organization that provides mental health education and suicide prevention training programs for students and the adults in their lives. Our goals are to end the stigma and destructive behaviors associated with challenges, inform individuals that help is available and encourage them to seek it, and ensure that people are equipped to provide support for their peers, family, and Minding Your Mind works to increase help-seeking behavior, adaptive coping skills, and resiliency by cultivating a culture of compassion, openness, and advocacy. To date, Minding Your Mind has completed over 5,500 5, presentations and reached more than 715,000 students. Minding Your Mind offers a continuum of school and community-based programming for youth and young adults, parents and caregivers, professional development for school personnel, and workplace education and wellness in a business environment. With that all said, our other two guests today are joining us from Minding Your Mind. A little bit about them. First up, Caitlin McCarriston. Caitlin McCarriston holds a bachelor's in psychology as well as a bachelor's in philosophy and a master's in social work from Simmons University. Caitlin has an extensive background working with children and adolescents across various school settings. As a school social worker in the greater Boston area, she provided one-on-one -on -one counseling for students around gender and sexuality, as well as mindfulness and stress reduction. Caitlin also worked with the Home for Little Wanderers as a child and family therapist. She currently works at Minding Your Mind as their clinical content developer and project manager. You can reach her by email at caitlin at mindingyourmind.org. She's actually coming to us via the phone all the way from Massachusetts. So let's see if we can talk to her. Caitlin, are you ready up there? Hey, Ev, I'm ready. Sound good. Thanks for having me. All right. You sound great. We're glad to have you today. And last but not least, I got to tell you about this guy, Jordan Burnham, who's in the studio with Jordan is a professional public speaker on mental health and suicide prevention as part of the organization Mining Your Mind. He is a survivor of a suicide attempt and shares his powerful story of fighting depression and finding recovery. Jordan has received numerous accolades for his work in mental health advocacy over the last 12 years. He's been featured in Sports Illustrated, People Magazine, he also and People Magazine, excuse me. He also appeared on Dr. Phil, The Early Show, Good Morning America, and ESPN's E60. His pick with E60 was nominated for an Emmy. Most recently, Jordan was interviewed by Anderson Cooper for the CNN special Finding Hope, Battling America's Suicide Crisis. In 2008, he addressed a congressional briefing in Capitol Hill, and in 2013, he was even invited to the White House for the National Conference on Mental Health, hosted by President Obama and Vice President Biden. 
Jordan is also the director of student engagement for Minding Your Mind, helping assist schools with starting mental health clubs. Jordan, we are so glad to have you today. Thank you for uh, being here. I'm actually lucky to have the distinct privilege of getting to co-host the Minding Your Mind podcast with this guy. You guys can check that out if you're more interested in just the mental health side of things by going to uh, any podcast platform, Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and just typing in Minding Your Mind, and you can hear Jordan and I there. Woo! Jordan, how you doing? I'm great, Evan. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, no problem. So this first uh, little bit here, we're just going to talk to Jordan briefly and just get a little background on his story. Um, I mean, it's incredible and how he got into the mental health space. So, Jordan, we really only have about 10 minutes to (laughs) give your story today. And I know there's no better feeling than when we're in a school with our 40 minute presentation and get told, hey, you got your 20 minutes. So I figured 10 should be fine. Let's just give a little background. What was Jordan like in the middle school and high school years? Because I know that's when a lot of these things started for you. Yeah. So for me, I was always the class clown. I was always the kid who was maybe disruptive in class. And I was always the one who was trying to make other people laugh, make other people smile. Um, And a lot of that was me putting a mask on and pretending like everything was okay. Because I really struggled starting, especially in seventh grade. I really started struggling with depressed feelings and emotions, but I didn't know what they were. I didn't know there was a definition for it. I didn't know really a lot about mental health growing up. And so when I got to high school, I think that's when there was a combination of things. Mm -hmm. I think I didn't feel comfortable reaching out and talking because being a guy around my guy friends, we just didn't open up and talk about emotions and feelings. So being vulnerable was something I just wasn't used to. Um, Also during that time, I struggled a lot with drinking and using that as either a way to open up or a way to um, try and numb some of the pain and emotions that I was feeling. And so that is something that got progressively worse over time throughout high school. And so I was diagnosed with depression when I was 16 didn't take it seriously because I didn't know what the difference was between feeling depressed and actually having depression. And so it's a little confusing. And also, you know, I didn't take it seriously. Um, I didn't tell anyone. I didn't want to be judged. Um, So for me, going through high school, struggling with my mental health was something I didn't talk about because I didn't feel like I had the permission to. I didn't feel like I was in a culture at our high school where we could talk about these things. So that's really what I struggled with leading up to Um, When I was 18, a senior in high school, is when I attempted suicide by uh, going out of my nine-story bedroom window and devastating injuries, being in the hospital. And while I was in there, there was a reporter from the Philadelphia Inquirer newspaper, Michael Vitez, and Mike reaches out to my dad. And this is during the time I'm in the ICU. Mm -hmm. And he reaches out to my dad and asks if he could interview me um, because he heard that there was a young man in high school who fell nine stories, survived, that it was a suicide attempt. And... This young man you know, is someone who had friends, is someone that laughed, someone that smiled all the time. People really didn't think it would ever get to that place, especially even my family and friends. Um, so my dad asked me if I would do this interview, and I was confused at first because during that time period, I, I didn't have a, a voice because of the trach that I had um, in my throat, and I, I didn't know if I could talk about this. And so it's interesting in that moment in time, being 18 and being in a hospital, not able to move, not being able to do things on my own, to go from me not telling my health class what I'm struggling with to all of a sudden I'm talking to a reporter from the Philadelphia Inquirer of sharing this story. And I did that in hopes to just make a difference, um, that someone could read that story and not be in the same position that I was at that time period. And, you know, Evan, I thought that was going to be the first and last interview. (laughs) I thought it was just going to be one and done. 
And that interview went out in January of 2008 in the Philadelphia Inquirer newspaper. And the feedback was, it was incredible to hear from people who thanks my family for sharing this story. And so during this time period, I'm trying to be grateful for, of course, all the feedback that I'm getting. But at the same time, this is also me missing my senior year of high school, right. going through a lot of physical rehab, being in the hospital for five months total, all of that. But that was the beginning of a journey I didn't think was coming. And so that leads to today, 12 years of still being able to speak and share my story. And so my first ever speaking engagement was a high school, Hapo, Hapor, Haporo. Horsham, sorry. Oh, yeah, I know exactly. Okay, yeah, it's right yeah, near me. Yep. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure everyone who's listening is so happy I messed up their name. <laughs> but uh, um, that was my first presentation, and that was back in October of 2008. I was terrified. I had little index card notes. It was just my timing was off. I don't know if I was even funny. And so I'm going through all of this as a, a public speaker for my first time. And the part that really got to me was just afterwards. I mean, it's the you know, as a, as a speaker, the conversations that you have with students afterwards, it's not usually just personal questions. It's them sharing mm -hmm. the things that they've been through, how they could relate to the presentation. All of that kind of led to, again, just doing what I am today of not only being able to share my story, but also helping schools start mental health clubs. And I think that's really incredible, too, to see how this generation looks at mental health a little differently mm -hmm. as far as the way they talk about it. Now, you've been involved with this for over a decade now, and it doesn't look like you're slowing down anytime soon, which is great. Did you, because I know you said, I mean, you kind of thought this was a one and done interview. I mean, did you ever think though, even after maybe like a year that you'd still be here over a decade later doing what you're doing with Mind in Your Mind? And I mean, you've spoken, I think we talked about this before, aren't you at like 47 states and three countries or something? I mean, you got to cross them all off now. Like Alaska <laughs> needs Jordan Burnham. <laughs> yeah, Hawaii needs to just say, hey, uh, we, we can definitely have a conference here in Hawaii. We, we could use you. Yeah. Um, no, you know what, Evan? I, I didn't think that I would still be doing this for this long because I didn't think our society would embrace mental health awareness in the way that it has over the years. And so we can talk about the stigma that still exists there and that there's still a lack of conversation and um, misrepresentation when it comes to mental health in our society and in our culture. But the fact that like, I can get on a Zoom call and speak to students who are talking about mindfulness, who speak about meditation, who are open and honest about the things that they struggle with and also with the conversations that they have with friends and trying to help them. So to see school districts that are saying, hey, not only do we want one presentation, we would like to have several. Right. We want all of our health classes to hear this. We want the entire school. So the embracing of the conversation of mental health is something I certainly couldn't have predicted back in 2008 mm -hmm. because we just weren't there at that point. So I, I would say in 2008 when I first started, it was more me educating and also telling my story. Where now kids are exposed to so much that it's really not me educating, it's me connecting the dots of things that they've seen on TikTok, YouTube, um, Instagram, whatever it may be. And so now it's just so interesting that I can say depression, I can say, I can say anxiety, and a lot of those students like know what I'm talking about, mm -hmm. and it's just kind of bridging that conversation of seeking help, healthy coping mechanisms, and what that looks like for me to this day. That's so true because I'm actually, and it definitely depends on the school. Certainly, some have more awareness and education around this than others. But I can't believe the conversations I'm having sometimes. I remember I was talking to a group of seventh graders, and they just we had I didn't even finish the presentation, which was a good thing because 20 minutes in, they were asking so many questions and having such a willing group discussion. We're going all in about mental health. And I just, 
that wasn't what was happening when we were in school. And I know you're a little older than Allie and I, but even so, I mean, middle high school, that that just wasn't occurring. And I think that's one of the things that inspires me because you said, you know, when you got that feedback from the students, I was that probably something that just totally validated, despite how nervous you were, you had these notes, whatever. Was that just a moment where you're like, all right, I need to be doing this? Yeah, that was that was a moment of I would love to do this part of it, the listening part, like the the being able to share my story and speaking and becoming a public speaker. That takes some time and you evolve and you get your timing down and you kind of figure out what jokes work with seventh graders that don't work with parents. Mm-hmm. So you, you figure all of that out. But the the conversations the, the the a lot of the parts of who I am today come from me listening to others along this journey when it comes to mental health awareness. And so that part I'm incredibly grateful for. And I was actually talking to my dad last night and I said, I feel at the very beginning of this, I said, I feel like I'm not going to have that same emotion that I had when kids would come up to me after a presentation. And when there's a student who's a little teary eyed and they just say, thank you. Mm-hmm. And you know what that means. Yeah. Um, or just the, the 10 minute conversations that you have with a student. So I said in the very beginning of this and all the shutdowns happened and doing virtual presentation, I was going to I was wasn't going to have that. But now, just those little comments in the the chat box, Mm -hmm. I love that so much. Awesome. Yeah. And we will touch more on that in just a second after these quick commercial breaks. Tired of talk radio shows that are nothing but Trump, Trump, and more Trump? Looking for something that actually has some relevance to your life? Then tune into The Pennsylvania Project. Hi, I'm Ken Krawchuk, host of The Pennsylvania Project. Our mission is to showcase the political, cultural, and environmental challenges facing contemporary Pennsylvania— And we're all about solutions. So tune in Mondays, 3 p.m. here on WWDB, 860 a.m. in Philadelphia. When the problem is same old, same old talk radio, the correct solution is the Pennsylvania Project. Hey, Allie, how's it going? Not so great, Health Coach Ev. It's the holiday season. What? Shouldn't that mean you were merry and jolly? Well, I'd like to feel that way, but my family's coming to my house this year. That means that I'll have to deal with the embarrassment of my dog, Skippy, jumping all over them as soon as they walk in the door. Oh, that old Skippy. Hey, I have just the solution for you, though. Have you heard of Eric Katz with Cats, Dogs, Canine? Cats, Dogs, Canine? Yeah, Cats, Dogs, Canine. Eric Katz is a great friend of mine who has been in the dog business for years now. He offers doggy daycare, boarding, and training for Bucks in Montgomery County. The guy's got more five-star Facebook reviews than you can count, and he even won Best of Montgomery County for boarding and pet training. So you're telling me that Eric can get Skippy to finally stop jumping on people and embarrassing the heck out of me? You bet. I actually lived with Eric for a while and saw him fix issues like that in a matter of two to three weeks. The guy's a dog whisperer. Okay, okay, I'm in. Where can I find him? You can get in contact with Eric by heading over to catsdogscanine.com. Cats is spelled K-A-T-Z. That's catsdogscanine, K, as in the letter K, and the number 9.com. When you give him a call, tell him you know Health Coach Ev. And now it's time for the Health Coach Ev fact of the day. Do you chronically abuse caffeine? Do you know what makes you feel like you're running at 100 miles per hour, but you still drink it every day? Health Coach Ev has just the solution for you. Take L-theanine. L-theanine has a synergistic effect with caffeine, which calms the jitters while still allowing you to focus. Take two milligrams of L-theanine for every one milligram of caffeine. Hope this works for you. 
And we're back. Welcome to the Health Coach Ev Show, where we are leveling the playing field around physical and mental health. I'm your host, Evan Transu, a.k.a. Health Coach Ev. We got Allie Litback on the ads, Jordan Burnham on the mic, and Caitlin McCarriston on the phone, who we will be talking to in just a second here, bringing her into the conversation. We went over briefly Jordan Burnham's story, um, his dealing with depression, his suicide attempt, and surviving. And uh, I mean, the guy's incredible. I really appreciate you being able to condense everything uh, so quickly. You must do this or something pretty often. Um, we want to transition a little bit in this segment to talk more about depression. And we will be bringing in, you know, kind of my side, Jordan's side, and then the more clinical side of things uh, with Caitlin. So I think the best way to start this off is just asking Jordan, I mean, when let's say a student or something is asking like, what is depression? Cause there's a bunch of students in the audience usually that maybe don't deal with this stuff, but are really mature and they want to be inquisitive about this. They want to know for a friend, how do you describe depression in your terms and not necessarily a clinical one? So for me, one of the first things I say is that if I took 10 people who have depression and I lined them up and I said, what does depression look like for you and how do you cope and how do you like to be supported? I'm going to get 10 different answers because even if we have depression, Everyone feels it, everyone talks about it a little differently, therapist, um, that style. So for me, when I talk about um, depression, I always say that depressed first depression, that if someone is feeling depressed, they usually know why. Mm -hmm. um, it could be a bad breakup, it, going through a difficult time in school, uh, really, really difficult anniversary is something very saddening. But that person knows why they're crying, why they don't feel like themselves. Um, with me having depression, there are just days I can wake up and not feel like myself right. and not know why I'm crying. And that's a really confusing um, feeling to have because not only do you realize, okay, I have something going on, and then I was diagnosed with depression. Mm -hmm. The most difficult part is people would say, hey, what's going on? Why are you sad? And it's difficult to say, I don't know. And that's a really confusing feeling and also a frustrating one until I was actually able to get help actually take care of my mental health in the best way possible. And that's why, yeah, for me, I mean, having dealt with depression, I didn't figure this out for a couple of years. Now, to be fair, I also wasn't sharing what I was really going through. I was, I was scared. I wouldn't hide this stuff because I was confused. So I was like, all right, I don't, I can't share this with people. And again, the awareness has changed so much even in the last 10 years, because I'm talking about when I was 15, 16 years old, being 25 now, the difference is uh, remarkable. We are heading in the right direction. Plenty of work to do, but we're heading in the right direction. And I really agree with you because that was... The issue for me, even when I found out that the doctor said that's what I was dealing with, I just, I thought depression was people who cried their eyes out. I thought it was people who laid in bed all day. I thought it was people who withdrew from friends and family. And I learned that it could be any of those things, but it doesn't have to be any of those things. I had more anger and irritability. Um, I had a lot of changes in my eating patterns and sleeping patterns. So, um, Caitlin, I wanted to bring you in and talk more from maybe like the clinical side of things, because I think when we hear this and then we get to hear a person who's actually suffered in their perspective, it's very useful for, especially parents out there. We have an older audience and I know that they're going to want to hear this stuff. So maybe we can talk, Caitlin, in the sense of what do you think are some things uh, with depression that like a parent should look out for? Maybe stuff that's not so common, maybe stuff that's really common, however you want to take that question. Sure. Um, so I, I think I'd like to start by saying that depression is a really, really normal reaction to loss, to stress, um, to hardship. As, as Jordan was talking about, um, people know what's going on. Like there, are, it doesn't arise out of out of nothing. Usually, it's a, a really reasonable response to something that's going on. Um, and, and with that, I think usually we can sense depression either 
in the body or in the mind, right? We can kind of like divide these symptoms up into physiological symptoms or psychological symptoms. Um, so for the body stuff, it's, um, you know, muscle fatigue. Uh, it's a loss of energy. You might hear you say, I'm, I'm just really tired. I don't want to do anything, right? Um, it could be aches and pains. My body hurts. I don't know why. Did you, you know, were you at soccer practice for too long? Like, no, I just like don't feel good. Right. Um, it's stomach aches. It's um, just a feeling of heaviness or, or being weighed down. Parents want to look out for any changes in appetite. This could be eating um, too much um, or eating too little. I'm not hungry. Um, and then with that uh, weight gain or weight loss, um, some kids have a lot of trouble sleeping. Some kids have a lot of trouble waking up in the morning and going to school, what's underneath that, right? What's going on at school that makes them not want to go? We want to start asking those questions. Um, we want to look out for um, any changes in, you know, behavior of interaction with friends or, you know, I don't want to do the sport that I've loved for, you know, however many years the kids been doing the sport and, and all of a sudden all they're doing is playing video games mm -hmm. or like that reduction in physical movement, right? Um, and then I think for the psychological side of things, we want to look out for, um, you know, signs of feelings of helplessness or hopelessness. Um, so like, you know, kids will say things like, what's the point? Or like, I don't care. It doesn't matter anyway. Right. Um, what that translate to that's like adolescents speak for like, I don't have hope for the situation. Um, we also want to look out for, um, as you mentioned, I think a lot of people think it's being really sad, but it's also um, anger. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, or the feeling of uh, not having the space to sit in those emotions. Right. I don't have anyone who's going to sit with me and my sad feelings. So instead, I'm going to show you a feeling that you, like is just going to be an anger outburst. I've worked with so many kids that the teachers in their lives, they're, you know, disrupting in, in, in the classroom. They mm -hmm. swear and curse. And the teachers are, that I talk to are just like, this kid doesn't care about anything. Right. It's just like disruptive. I, they get suspended every other week. And then I have that same kid in the session room crying, talking about how hard things are. And being vulnerable and talking about how, um, you know, nothing that they do is ever good enough. And so how do you expect that kid to have the emotional freedom and space to say, I don't get this, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think for teachers or parents, we can see a lot of behaviors that make no sense. And it isn't until we really start asking questions um, that we understand that what we're looking at is actually depression. Another big one that people um, don't think about is um, just like a psychological fog or like the inability to concentrate or focus on anything. We start to see kids who um, don't turn in their work and, and a lot of teachers or parents, it translates to, well, they just don't care anymore, mm -hmm. right? But it's that physically, emotionally, psychologically, it is too hard to do the work. There's too much going on underneath there. Caitlin, I think you literally just took my entire Minding Your Mind presentation with the depression portion at least and read <laughs> through all the things. And the reason this is why awareness is so important and why um, I love what we have the opportunity to do because 
a lot of the things you just said, muscle fatigue, aches and pains, changes in appetite, Mm -hmm. that is not Mm -hmm. what even the average person today, even an adult, is thinking about when they say depression. And I remember, um, and I'm always very transparent about these things in my talks and on the show, when I chose to start using, you know, prescription drugs, unfortunately, to them, I found that one of the weirdest things that happened to me, and this was on a, a very low dose, is my neck stopped hurting. Like instantly, I'm like, wow, I walk around with neck and shoulder pain all the time, and I just felt relaxed. And now, of course, I'm not sitting there, oh, wow, depression, that's what this is, and this must be causing my muscles to get painful. I, I didn't make that connection at the time, but I just remember it was such a distinct relief that I found it remarkable. I'm like, why would this anti-anxiety slash depression medication be causing me to not have neck pain anymore. I, I just didn't make those connections. So I think it is so important for people to see those types of things and, and recognize this. And I appreciate your more clinical perspective, especially for parents, because um, I have some of the best parents you could ask for. But I had a lot of that stuff with the hopelessness side of things. And I think they looked at that and even myself as like, what's going on in the teenage years and never really as, oh, depression. Because I remember, it, this is in my presentation as well, there was this one time where um, I didn't hand in homework, tests, quizzes. I, I stopped doing these things. And that was like the only thing I was ever naturally good at was school. So I basically just had to show up for class and I could do well on these things. And now it's not even that I'm not doing it. It's just not even handing it in. I'm not even listening in class. And I remember telling my mom when she asked about this that the reason that I wasn't doing them is because there's no point to life, so why would I bother doing something so stupid like the homework tests or quizzes? And for anyone out there that you know maybe isn't as familiar with this stuff, I don't want that to seem dramatic. That is really what I believed, and that was my actual answer and excuse. It was also an opportunity to ask for help, which unfortunately um, I did not take. Now, uh, Jordan, I want to go back to you for a second. Uh, we got about four minutes before the break. I want to talk about how depression can involve or evolve to the suicidal ideations and maybe even attempts so that we can avoid that for other people. Is this just coming from a lack of addressing it early on? Because from my experience, I don't know if this is true for everyone, but looking back on what now I would have known as the first day that I was depressed, I wasn't immediately thinking about, oh, what would it be like if I wasn't here or, you know, could I end this? That, that took years for me to get to, honestly. So how does that evolve into that? Yeah, I think that's one of the most important parts of the presentation for me is that I wanted to explain to an audience that suicide, uh, sorry, is not black and white, that there are so many things along the path of my journey that led up to that suicide attempt where I didn't ask for help. So yeah, it did start with those days where I couldn't get out of bed and I didn't feel like myself and there were days where I was crying and I wasn't sure what was wrong. But then you add into the mix me not opening up and talking about those feelings. Mm -hmm. Then you add into the mix me drinking instead of talking about those feelings and and getting help. Then you throw into the fact that um, I'm not doing as well in school. So then I feel all of this pressure. And I have an older sister who's five years older than me. And uh, Tara was valedictorian of her class. She got an academic scholarship to Penn State. I thought I had to live up to that. Mm -hmm. So then there's all this pressure that I'm putting onto myself and by and there were so many opportunities to talk to someone and get help along the way but before i got to my suicide attempt leading up to that my um, alcoholism had progressed to really a certain point my me not talking about things really progressed me not getting enough sleep or me oversleeping all the time really led up to that point so when i attempted suicide it wasn't something happens okay now i attempted suicide No, this is years of me struggling with my mental health, years of me not talking about it, suppressing a lot of those emotions, trying to hide those emotions, 
and then eventually leading up to that. Um, so yeah, I think it's really important to put that into context. Right, and I don't want to oversimplify it, but would you say then, because I, I am under this impression, that if we were able as a society, and I know this is one of like kind of our goals, if we were able to turn depression, anxiety, any mental health symptom into the equivalent of a broken arm, and what I mean by that is this, if I broke my arm right now in front of you guys, how long are we going to wait to go to the ER? We're not going to wait long at all. We're going to go there or we'll go to a doctor, whatever you need to do, right? I want to turn mental health into the thing of like, all right, if I'm feeling this, I understand you're not going to go the first hour you feel a little anxious. That's probably unnecessary because we do get anxious at times. But, you know, if you're feeling this for a couple of days, is that the answer to this? Is just making sure that we have a society where the minute we feel this going on, we just go and get help for this stuff. So there's two parts to this, and I really like this analogy. Um, so first, yes, if you broke something, you would know immediately, all right, I need to go get help. Mm -hmm. But then um, I was just talking about I was on a men's mental health panel um, not too long ago. Okay. And I talked about how sometimes men, we struggle with what is the healthy route to go. One of our friends is really struggling. So if you broke your leg and you said, I don't feel anything, I'm that's really concerning because <laughs> I just saw you broke your leg. Yeah. So when my friend says, yeah, I went through a really bad breakup. Who cares? Let's just go to a bar and drink. That's really not OK. There's something there, the emotions that you need to feel and then try and talk to someone and communicate that. So yeah, I think when we can get to that place where when I say, hey, I'm going to get a checkup, you say, Jordan, that's awesome. I'm glad you're doing that. I think we should get to a point where you say, hey, I'm going to see a therapist. I'm like, awesome. Great to hear. Awesome. And we will be uh, continuing on those topics just a little more and then jumping into what minding your mind actually is and does right after these quick commercial breaks. Hey, are you looking to increase your credibility and grow your health coaching business so that you can confidently solve health issues? Perhaps you have been struggling with your own health and want not only to help yourself, but also to help others. Well, we have the course for you. Functional Diagnostic Nutrition provides you with the cutting-edge functional lab assessment training, access to lab testing, and other resources to continuously enhance your knowledge about functional health practices so you can actually fix the health issues you or your clients are facing. This all enables you to create a successful, referral-based business globally by doing what you love while positively impacting others. Upon completing the course, you also become bored... <laughs> board certified through our partnership with the American Association of Drugless Practitioners to enhance your credibility. We are here to support people on a deeper level to get real results and grow your health coaching business. To talk to someone and learn more, email fdninfo at afdnp.com. That's fdninfo at afdnp.com. Folks, that is the certification that I contribute to really getting a hold of my mental health and physical health issues. I cannot recommend it enough. You can always go to evantransu.com as well if you'd like to schedule a time to talk more about that. When you know that you or a loved one would do better mentally with something more than what your current doctor is doing, head to the Patient Experience Center at dhalab.com. View their advanced brain chemistry consultations to quickly and easily test and optimize with an MD. Take brain health in your own hands today with a 10% discount. Use the code HEALTHCOACHEV when checking out for a 10% discount on any tests and consultation services. And again, that's dhalab.com. Folks, we are interrupting this broadcast to welcome you to a new little mini-segment that we started last week. It'll be added to each one-hour show. This new segment is called a Health Coach Ev Rant. It's where I call out one of the many things that drive me crazy when it comes to health. Today, I'm going to keep this short and sweet and relevant to the conversation at hand. One of the things that drives me absolutely crazy is when people say that mental health issues and diagnoses are going up simply because of awareness. 
Here's the problem with that. Is it happening? 100%. In fact, it actually happened to me. What happened to me was I went in with a panic attack, or panic attacks rather, at five years old. The doctor, very nice guy, said, hey, this guy just gets himself a little too worked up. This is nothing to worry about. He's going to outgrow it. Fine. We come back at 15 years old, same symptom. Oh, this is called you know panic attacks, and I think your son has panic disorder. Well, that's the same thing he was dealing with 10 years ago. So yes, does awareness happen that increases the diagnoses or the rate of diagnosis? Absolutely, it does. I'm not ignorant to that. Here's the thing, though. From 1999 to 2016, a study was done. This is on CDC's website, okay? So you can go check it out there, cdc.gov. 1999 to 2016, they studied the rates of suicide in every single state in America. It went down in only one state. That was Nevada by 1%. It went up in every single other state on average from about 15 to 25 percent, with the highest state being North Dakota at a whopping 57 percent increase in less than 20 years. Why is this relevant to the point I was just making? Because how do you misdiagnose suicide? If suicide rates are going up that significantly, then that means mental health issues as a whole are also going up significantly. Now, we're not going to talk about the why of that today, but you know I have my opinions there for sure. I think this is our health. I think this is social media. I think this is many different factors that we need to address. So please, the next time you're going to say something like that, just remember these things really are going up and we have a real issue and it's conversations like these. This is where it starts because we're trying to get to the solution here. So you can be a part of that as well. Hey, welcome back to the Health Coach Ev Show, where we are leveling the playing field around physical and mental health. I'm your host, Devin Transu, a.k.a. Health Coach Ev. In the studio, we got Ali Litvak and Mr. Jordan Burnham. On the phone, we got Caitlin McCarriston. All right. We were just talking about depression, suicidal ideations, and how um, you know depression can kind of evolve uh, into suicidal ideations eventually. Caitlin, I do want to get the clinical perspective here, because I, I feel like it's actually really different in a lot of ways. And both sides are, again, just so important. Before we get into talking about minding your mind, I would love to hear from a social worker's perspective. How do you think depression starts out and then evolves um, into those kind of suicidal thoughts? Because it's not typically the same day. They don't typically start on the same day, I found at least. Sure. Um... You know, it's, it's tricky. I think it's, it's tricky um, because it's so subjective for each person. Um, and it's, it's hard to give one answer for like a, an umbrella answer. I think what comes to mind for me is a, a stat that just, it really drives me to work. Um, and, and that is that the average delay of onset of symptoms and intervention for adolescents or teens um, is eight to 10 years, right? So these symptoms start and, and typically we don't start treating them until eight to 10 years later. Mm -hmm. That's a problem. Um, so it, like you said, it doesn't emerge overnight. I think what really incubates depression is, um, the lack of treatment, the lack of being able to say, this is what I'm feeling and I don't know how to fix this. It, that to me is a a bigger systemic issue of how we um, teach kids about emotions, about the ability to communicate, uh, the ability to receive someone as uh, how they are. Right? I think we're often projecting ourselves into the light that we think we should be cast in, and 
we try so hard to to be a, a certain way or uh, live up to the expectations that are are, are there. Um, and in that, we tend to avoid how how we actually are feeling and we don't feel safe enough to explore our identity or our emotions and say, I messed up, right? I messed up. I don't know how to fix it. I need help. Those, those words, I need help, are some of the most important words that we should be teaching kids, um, you know, I think that's a, a big part of the problem, right? Stigma right. is a huge part of the problem. The fact that um, our society holds a narrative that if you need help, there's something wrong with you, right? When the truth is we all need help. Mental health is a universal experience that we all have, um, and we just need to start being more honest about it. We need to have spaces where we can um, be open. And I think that's... Um, that's really, if I could point to one thing, I think that's it. Okay. And I don't want to um, keep your answer too short here, but I want to make sure we're able to talk about mining your mind in depth. I do want to ask you one question. And again, to the ability that you can summarize this, I'd appreciate it. We all have different thoughts about what we think needs to be done to solve the mental health crisis. And I know you kind of just almost alluded to that answer to that question, but I promised myself I would never allow myself to be biased because I have a lot of thoughts about our physical health and how that's relating to our mental health, but I always want to bring in other perspectives. So what do you think needs to be done to stop these numbers from going up? Because they absolutely are going up. Like what is causing this? What do we have to do? Mm. Yeah, such a, such a really, really big question. Um, I think it deserves like a, a novel length answer, right. but, um, <laughs> you know, uh, to mention a few things, right? You want to solve the mental health crisis. You also need to solve serious issues of social injustice for so many people. Mm-hmm. You want to solve mental health. You need to solve poverty. Um, we need to make sure that there's equal access to care for all communities. Um, we need to make sure our, our communities are safer. We need to address relationship issues, right? Domestic violence or physical and sexual and emotional abuse, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the problems in technology, like that's a, a huge thing. Um, if I'm going to point to like one thing that is going to be the biggest conduit to changing the mental health crisis, I think we'd be a paradigm shift. Uh, you alluded to this earlier about, um, you know, if, if someone broke a leg, we can point to that and say, oh, your leg is broken. Let's get you some help, mm-hmm. right? I think that um, where we should be driving to is a place where seeing a therapist is as normal and frequent as seeing a physical health physician, right? So right. each year, kids go and they get a physical, right? Why do we not have mental health check-ins um, as frequently? Why are we treating physical health as something that is, you know, you know, this, you know, thing that we can address and mental health is this like, uh, you know, abstract thing that only some people get to deal with, right? Right. There's privilege in that. Um, So I think if we, if we can do that, if we can normalize mental health um, and and normalize talking to clinicians, to therapists, um, and have that be frequent and as normal as seeing your, your doctor and getting a checkup, then we'll be in a very different place. 
Excellent. Makes sense to me. And this is why I always ask these questions because there's a couple points you hit on there that I wouldn't even really have thought of. So thank you very much. Jordan, going back to you and transitioning into minding your mind as a whole, I'd love to know, how did you go from you know your first interview to actually speaking for this organization? Because you've been with minding your mind for 10 years, 11 years, 12 years, 12 years 20 yeah. years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So now, yeah. So me, how I, I got um, into speaking for minding your mind. So there was a guy, um, Ross Sabo. Ross Sabo is incredible. And um, I actually got to go to a Minding Your Mind forum, and he was one of the speakers that was there. So this is back in 2008, May. And I was actually still in a wheelchair at this point from the um, suicide attempt. And I went and I stayed in the back, and Ross was one of the speakers. He was the first speaker. And then Joey Panigliano, um, who's an actor, he's in, been in a bunch of movies. I knew him from The Matrix. He was actually the last speaker. And... Um, at the end of it, there was a Q&A, and there was a Q&A that started out like all of them, awkward silence. So I asked uh, my mom to, to wheel me to the microphone so I could ask a question. Um, so I grabbed the microphone. I don't know where this came from, but um, I said, my name is Jordan Burnham. Um, this past year in September, I attempted suicide, and I was wondering how can we help young adults have a better and more open conversation about mental health and especially suicide? And I think Ross answered my question, and Joey asked how I was doing, and I said, you know, still struggle, but taking it a day at a time. And so it was a week later, Joey asked me to speak to Congress with him to share my story, and I wasn't doing anything that day, so I said yes. And then um, after that, it was in the newspaper, Ross saw that, reached out to me, asked me if I wanted to start speaking to schools. Um, again, I was terrified my first time doing it, but yeah, that's how I got involved with Mining Your Mind. <laughs> awesome. I remember the first uh, presentation I had for them a couple of years ago, it was, thankfully, there was like other presentations going on, and I met you yeah, in that right. office, and what I didn't tell you that night is I, I think I went to bed around 3 a.m., and I was up around 4.30, you know, and yeah, <laughs> I was just yeah. very nervous, even though I had done it before, so uh, that was cool. And we got uh, a very short break coming up in about a minute and a half, and then we're going to talk to Caitlin about uh, a campaign that we're just starting, and it's very exciting, just launched yesterday. I guess... Uh, I'd like to ask you this since we only have a short period of time. What is it that has kept you around with minding your mind specifically for this long? Because, I mean, guys, he's never going to say it himself. Jordan's a, a name in this space. He could go do his own thing. And, and you really could, you know, and you continue to stay here. What do you love about minding your mind that makes you do that? Uh, we primarily speak to middle schools and high schools. And there's just something so rewarding um, about like a young student just coming up and, and talking to you. And as much as I love speaking to adults and I love speaking to college students too, um, when you're speaking to someone who's in middle school or high school, you have the opportunity to provide them with a message that they'll remember for the rest of their life. And that is amazing. It's great to hear from students that I spoke to eight years ago who said this is how it affected me and this is what I went into after hearing that presentation. So that's awesome. But also, when we go into a school, the kids have no idea who we are. <laughs> and it's like, who are you? Like, even the schools are like, uh, who are you and what are you doing? I'm like, no, I'm just here to, you have to earn it. You have to kind of earn the respect. Every time. Yeah. <laughs> Every time. yeah. So, yeah, um, getting students to be engaged, ninth graders at eight in the morning, is not the easiest thing in the world. But once you got them and you get those questions and have that conversation, it's just the best feeling. Yeah, and he's uh, he, you're very good at that too because I actually it was very embarrassing, but I kind of sh showed up as at one of uh, Jordan's public presentations, and I didn't tell him I was coming. I was just gonna <laughs> sit in the back. Do you remember this? And then yeah. they're yep. like, "Oh, are you, who are you?" I'm like, "Oh, there's a check-in." I'm like, "I'm Evan with Minding Your Mind." Like, "Oh, we can sit you right up here next to Jordan," and I'm like, oh, "Okay, this is embarrassing." You know, I had my foam finger, Jordan Burnham number one. But all right, we'll be right back after these uh, quick sixty-second breaks. 
Hey, if you're a parent who wants to understand the mental health challenges your child faces, then Lucas Wolf's new book, My Perfect Life, How Depression Almost Ended It and How I Found Purpose Through the Pain, is for you. Through goofy, relatable stories, you'll see the world from the eyes of someone silently battling depression. More importantly, you'll learn how Lucas found hope and purpose through his pain. Get your copy of My Perfect Life today, available on Amazon by searching Lucas Wolf, and that's Wolf with an E. Does the pandemic have your hair looking a little funky? Do people stop and glance at you while you walk down the street? Folks, hair salons have been open for a while now. It's time to get that haircut you've been procrastinating. And when you do it, you should head to Hair and Visions in Ottsville, PA. Hair and Visions is open Tuesday through Saturday. They specialize in coloring and also offer keratin treatments that give your hair a smooth finish. Hair and Visions offers haircuts for all ages so you can bring the whole fam. Schedule your appointment today by calling 610-847-8894. That's 610-847-8894. Tell them Health Coach Ev sent you. All right, we're back. Welcome to the Health Coach Ev Show, where we are leveling the playing field around physical and mental health. I'm your host, Evan Transu, a.k.a. Health Coach Ev. And we're talking about Minding Your Mind, the organization. We've been having a great conversation about uh, mental health as a whole. I'm having a good time today. Time flies by even with these hour shows. I think we're going to need a a little longer, but I'm going to have to work up to that, I think. Caitlin, I want to bring you back in to share a campaign that Minding Your Mind has been working on for a while called Live to Tell. I would love to know all about this. I mean, I know I kind of know all about it, but let's pretend I don't. I'd love for people out there to know what we've been uh, working on because you've been like literally leading the way behind the scenes, I feel like. Sure. I would love to talk about it. So um, I wanted to start by saying I'm really excited to talk about this today because we are launching today, which means the public doesn't know about it until right now. Uh, So with that, let me give a little bit of context about Mind Your Mind and and how we came up with this campaign, Live to Tell. So one of the most powerful things Mind Your Mind has been able to do is tap into um, the power of storytelling, right? I mean, stories preceded written language. We know stories and we understand ourselves through stories, right? We understand our own story in the context of others. Um, And so when you have someone who is willing to share their story, um, it bolsters your real understanding of mental health. For many kids, for many people, we only get Um, one side of the story, right, which is usually from media or, you know, we get messages all the time from different places about um, mental health, mental illness, and and, and unless we have people who are courageous enough to stand up and say, this is my story, I went through this and that, and here I am, and I survived, and this is how I did it, um, that we can begin to paint a picture of resiliency, and we can begin to pave a path uh, towards recovery, right? Towards towards getting help. And so I think um, Mining Your Mind has had so much success with so many schools and changing the lives of so many people um, through story that what we wanted to do was do that on a larger scale, right? We want to um, tell more stories. We want to bolster the story of mental health um, in a greater way. And we also want to encourage people to share their story. Right. We know that people, um, everyone has a story um, and everyone deals with mental health in one way or, or another. Um, so Live to Tell is a storytelling campaign that aims to 
elevate the narrative of resilience, of recovery, of, um, you know, triumph, right, of painting a different picture than the one we often hear about mental health. And the way that we're going to do this is by uh, posting videos of uh, our folks sharing stories um, of, of their resilience uh, through art, right? We want to encourage people to submit art to us. Of um, A lot of people have a story to tell, but getting on a, a stage and, um, you know, sharing that and being that bold is really scary. I could never do it, um, but I could paint you a picture, right? <laughs> uh, a lot of people might be able to write a poem about how they feel, about what they're going through. Uh, they can take a photograph. They can dance. Right. Um, so there's all sorts of ways that we share our stories. And what we want to do is provide a platform for people to do that. So that's what Live to Tell is. And um, the real purpose of it is to um, each storyteller is an author, right, of the, of the bigger story of mental health. And so uh, Live to Tell is really a platform where we can create a collective narrative of mental health. And what we want to do is, is, make it so that when those people tell their stories, um, what they receive is acceptance. Mm -hmm. What they receive is community and kindness. So much of what keeps people in the dark is fear of rejection, fear of, um, you know, judgment. Uh, so we want to show people that, that it's not going to be that way. Um, how, yeah, how can people are, submit these things if they'd like to? Because this is a public thing. I mean, anyone listening right now, if you or someone you know would be interested in this type of project, I mean, you'd be really helping out. How can they submit their work? That's a, a great question. Thank you for asking that. Mm -hmm. uh, so our website is new. It is up today. And you can go to mindingyourmind.org. That's our website on there. Um, you can go to live to tell. Uh, I think the direct website link is miningyourmind.org slash LTT. Mm -hmm. And on there you can see some sample videos, some sample blogs, and things that people have written. And you can also submit your own story. Thank you so much. That's great. I also, um, you know, we have a little extra time, so this is cool. I really wanted to be able to focus on Mining Your Mind. I kind of asked Jordan this similar question, but um, I want to ask you, Caitlin, what appealed to you most about Mining Your Mind that made you want to work for them? Because obviously, I mean, there's a million different things that you can do as a social worker. I, I think it's very interesting that you chose this specific organization. I mean, what is it about it that appeals to you from your perspective as someone who's not a speaker? Yeah, that's a good question. Um so I found Minding Your Mind, I was working at a alternative school outside of Boston, and it's kind of like a the midway between a public school and a therapeutic school. So a lot of our students, uh, we had a higher population of kids who were on the autism spectrum, a mm -hmm. uh, higher population of kids who have learning disabilities, higher population of kids who uh, have mental health conditions that made it really tough for them to be in a public school space. Um, so that was our population. And at the time, I had been seeing a lot of kids who were, you know, feeling suicidal, so really struggling with depression, anxiety, uh, school performance. And there's only so many hours in the day where you can meet with a kid. So what we, what we decided was we really needed someone to speak to the whole school. Mm -hmm. So we found Finding Your Mind. We had a speaker come in and share their story. And um, at that time, I had been seeing this kid who 
previously just really was closed off. He didn't want to talk to the other school social worker and had been kind of circling outside my room for a couple weeks. And I would invite him in and he would be really cagey with me about like what he was going through and would kind of overtly say like, you know, I don't trust you, so I'm not going to talk about this. Mm -hmm. And two days after the presentation, he came in and asked me if he could see me and um, wanted to talk about the presentation. And what he said was, um, I, you know, the speaker said something that I've never heard before, and it really stuck with me. And he said that he said, I, I was walking around wearing a mask. And he said, that's exactly how I feel. Hmm. This was the first time this kid had said to anyone, this is how I feel. And in that moment, he took off his mask with me. Right. He directly had experienced a mining your mind speaker and then was able to come to me and have, you know, one on one therapy. He was able to say, I need help. This is what I'm going through. And um, so that to me was really moving. Uh, you know, I think that if if you can can do that in so many schools per day, you make so, so much of a difference really fast. Right. Um, so that's what really drew me in to them. And I think right after that, I reached out to uh, the clinical director and had a conversation with him um, just to find out more about Mining Your Mind, about uh, the work that everyone was doing. And we ended up having like an hour or two conversation and little did I know it was an interview. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And um, yeah, at the end of it, um, he said to me, you should, you should apply for this job. There's an opening in um, the Boston office. And I did. And, uh, and here you, know, you are. I, I <laughs> nice. Here I am. <laughs> and still ended up having to speak. That's funny. So that is really, um, <laughs> really cool. And that's, you know, because again, I, I think for people that follow me on social or even the radio show, they always hear the work around the functional healthcare side of things because it's something I'm super passionate about. And it is a part of my work. I touch on it briefly in the presentations in schools. But my goal there is different. It's a, it's a little bit of a different thing because everyone's path of healing is going to be different. My whole thing is I want to leave there. I have 40 minutes to figure out how to get someone in that audience who has never spoken about these things before or maybe is considering giving up to completely change their mind. And I think all of us as speakers do that. And that's why schools continue to bring us in. Jordan, we got a minute and a half left. I do have one bonus question because I didn't know if we were going to have enough time. I want to know if we can do this in a minute. Um, What is your favorite moment as a speaker? Like what was like just the coolest thing? And that's hard. I know you've been doing this for a while, but... Uh, so the coolest one was, um, 2010, I was speaking at the university of Miami and, uh, this was my third year or second year of speaking. And the reason why that was so special was because it was being filmed by ESPN because they reached out to me to do a piece called unbreakable for E60 and they called, they called, they came to that presentation and I could see the cameraman like, like wandering around. So I was a little nervous. It's 4,000 students. Wow. And, um, I swear to you, I was not expecting a standing ovation, but that standing ovation, that moment, and the producer Martin Kotobashian, I got the interview recently for the Mind Your Mind podcast. Yeah, Yeah. he bear hugged me, and I can't say the exact word he said, but he said, this is going to be bleep amazing. (laughs) (laughs) And so um, I always say that moment and that standing ovation, that presentation is probably one of the reasons they got nominated for an Emmy just because of that moment and how special it was. That's awesome. And what a great way to end because I feel like we just, um, you know, I haven't had that specific moment, right? You're going to have different ones than me, but all of us 
as speakers have experienced something that keeps people doing this because there's a lot of people in the organization that have been here uh, for multiple years so it's just absolutely incredible but that is going to have to be all for today folks thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the health coach ev show where we are leveling the playing field around physical and mental health as always i'm your host evan transu um, aka health coach ev you can get in contact with me by heading over to evantransu.com if you're interested in listening to some interviews jordan and i have conducted in more of the mental health related space and kind of focused around people who have dealt with these issues or people who are in the space helping out please on all major podcast platforms type in minding your mind and check us out there and last but not least to learn more about minding your mind or to book a virtual speaker head over to mindingyourmind.org you want to go to the one that says evan um i have a bold head at the time but you can click on that one no i'm kidding everyone's great read through the stories you might find someone that relates uh, really well to your school and next week we'll be talking to my old physical therapist and a holistic sports nutritionist now what do those people have to do um with one conversation stay tuned to find out we'll see you then thanks so much